splitting bathrooms coming up next. Greetings, salutations. It's the Bitterness and Rage program. I'm back, everyone, after my extremely well-deserved summer vacation. I am Rob, your paladin of bitterness, your centurion of rage. I have a steaming, jam-packed pile of show for you today. Thank you for your patience while I took some time off this summer. I took my beautiful wife, who also happens to produce this fine program, on a Caribbean and Bahamas cruise. And let me just tell you, America, these cruises, this is why we're fat. As well as the bathroom chocolate story that I have for you in a moment. Had a great time. It was very restful. I missed you all, so I'm back now. I want to take you on another audio journey. God, that sounded super cheesy, didn't it? Also, I spent two days, I took the Bitterness and Rage show on the road to lovely, humid, and sometimes awkwardly uncomfortable Houston, Texas. The good folks at Yahoo Sports Radio were the best hosts. If you want to hear my appearance on the Prime Cut show with uh, John Granado and Sean Salisbury, you can go to my Twitter page. More on that in a moment. First, let me just thank some people um, at Yahoo Sports. When I got there, I thought they were all going to be looking at me like, who the F is this guy, and why are we entertaining his cuckoo dreams? But they could not have been nicer. Could not have been nicer to me. And helping me make the Bitterness and Rage show more than just a little podcast that I do out of my bedroom. So I want to thank David Gao, who's the CEO of Gao Broadcasting, owns Yahoo Sports Radio. Craig Larson, Jr., the program director for Yahoo Sports Radio. Mike Pearson, executive producer. Uh, Andy Pandio, who produced uh, my air check and was very valuable in helping me. The co-host, of course, of Prime Cut, John Granado, Sean Salisbury, and Brian Barrett, who does the uh, Yahoo Sports updates, and Chris Taylor, who produces uh, many shows over at Yahoo Sports Radio. Okay, that's enough cheesiness and gratuitous thanking. Let me talk to you before we get into a rundown of the show. Well, you know what? Let's do a rundown of the show first. We got a lot of stuff today. We're going to talk NFL penalties. We're going to talk about Josina Anderson and Michael Sam. Some hard times at the University of Southern California. We're also going to have a guest. Yes, another guest on the show, Graham. I have my good friend and former college roommate and current managing editor of the Center uh, County Gazette in Pennsylvania, one Chris Morelli, who's going to talk some NFL. And he's going to talk some college football with y'all today. If you want to get in touch with me, if you want to reach out and grab the Bitterness and Rage show, uh, go to the Twitters. Go to your Twitter machines. Give me a follow. Send me a tweet at Bitter and Rage. If you want to email me, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. You can find our little audio fun at bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Subscribe, follow, leave me a nice comment about the showgram. And now on to chocolate and bathrooms. Two things that you don't ordinarily think of together, chocolate and bathrooms. 
Uh, Bathrooms.com, clever name, has partnered with UK chocolate designers. Let me see if I can get this right. Chalky Walky Doodah. Chalky Walky Doodah. To create an impressive bathroom set, including toilet, tub, basin, and bidet. Ew. That's made out of more than $133,000 of Belgian chocolate. An entire bathroom made out of chocolate. If you're wondering, and I know you are, because I was, uh, if you were to sit down, napkin tied around your neck, to enjoy a chocolate-covered bathroom, it would be approximately... Uh, 9.4 million calories. Good God. 9.4 million calories. And then you'd have the embarrassment of telling all of your friends that you ate a bathroom made of chocolate. And it's a bathroom. So you're going to get a few raised eyebrows, a few crooked stares when you tell them you ate chocolate in a bathroom. Okay, friends. First... I'd like to lead today's program with a visit from my good friend, as I mentioned, Mr. Chris Morelli, Managing Editor of the Center County Gazette in Pennsylvania, my former college roommate and one hell of a human being. Uh, Mr. Morelli told me a joke when we were in college that exemplifies everything that our relationship is and the reason why I still, after 20 plus years, keep in touch with him. But I can't say it on a family airwave. So we'll do a whole podcast, he and I, on our college days. Welcome, Chris, to the Bitterness and Rage Show on the as-yet-unsponsored Bitterness and Rage Show hotline. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No problem. I thought I'd have you on to uh, talk a little football because, as you know, this Thursday, uh, the real, real life begins. It's our springtime. Springtime in the fall. The football season. And it should... From all the news that's happened so far, it's shaping up to be quite the football season. If you had to look at the NFL, an overview of the NFL, who do you think is going to continue the dominance that they showed last year? I mean, obviously, Seattle's an obvious choice, but when you're looking over the landscape, who do you think is going to control the NFL this season? I, you know, the, the thing that I love about the NFL, Rob, is the fact that, um, that you know, there's such parity, and you don't know from year to year who's going to kind of pop out of the woodwork, so to speak. Um, that's probably one of the things I love about it so much. There's not really a, a team that that you can zero in on and say, well, that team's going to dominate. Now, I will say Seattle was so impressive last year, and the fact that they play in that stadium, if they can, if they can, you know, run, not run the table, but if they can win some ball games like they did last year, string together wins, and get home field, I I think they're tough to beat. Yeah, it, they're really they're really tough to beat up there. If if the playoffs have to run through Seattle or if they have to run through New Orleans, it's a pretty much a given uh, who's going to win there. What do you think about New yeah. Orleans this year? I think you know you're talking about New Orleans. You're talking about Drew Brees, and obviously he gives you a chance. Um, anytime you've got a, a player like that on your on your squad. Uh, he's such a great leader, such a great quarterback. Um, you know, I think the the stigma of the bounty gate is behind them. Um, I like their chances in the NFC. Uh, 
you know, Seattle, like I said, I think if, if the playoffs have to run through Seattle, they're going to be tough. I think a team to really watch, and I, and I saw them a few weeks back, is Philadelphia. And it pains me to admit that. It pains me to hear that. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not uh, an Eagles fan by any stretch of the imagination, but seeing them with a year under the Kelly regime and they don't have the distraction of Michael Vick, They'll have Nick Foles, and he'll be the, without a doubt, the starter. And there's not going to be a quarterback controversy. Not that there was one much of last year, but I think with a year under their belt of running that offense, I think they're going to be tough. I don't know that they're the cream of the crop in the NFC. I'll, I'll, I'll stop short of saying that, but I do think they're going to be a, a team that you got to keep an eye on in the NFC. And, yeah. I, and I know you, as a, a Redskins fan, that's tough. It is painful. You are uh, opening wounds and pouring lemon juice into them. In the AFC, is it still uh, New England and Denver all the way? Maybe Indianapolis? Well, you know, I think, yeah, I think luck is going gonna, is gonna to pay dividends for uh, Indy now that he's got a season under his belt as well. Um, you mentioned the two powerhouses, New England and Denver. And, and again, I am not a New England fan because as a, as a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan, New England has been the proverbial thorn in our side for much of the past decade. But Tom Brady, I think he, I think Tom Brady realizes that the window is sort of starting to close for him as far as another title goes. So I do think that they're going to be a team to watch. And again, much like the Denvers of the world, um, if they get home field, they're going to be tough to beat. Although, if Baltimore gets into the playoffs, Baltimore has been their kryptonite. So I, I think, you know, I, I hate to kind of toe the line and say it's going to be New England and Denver again, but until someone knocks Denver off, um, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, those guys are tough to beat. And especially come playoff time, they're, they're extremely difficult to beat. So I hate to say the AFC Championship's going to go through either New England or Denver, but that's certainly that's certainly what it looks like once again. Do you, do you think that uh, Kansas City is going to fall back to earth? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I, I think there are teams that benefit from weak schedules. Um, I think, you know, you, you see that every once in a while in the NFL. And I think, you know, there are teams that, that sneak into the playoffs um, based on the, the fact that the previous year they were so bad um, that they, they reap the benefits of having that, that weak schedule. So... I think they come back there. I think there are some teams that, that just, in my mind, uh, last year kind of snuck in to the playoffs. San Diego comes to mind as a team that kind of, that kind of, you know, flew under the radar last year. There are teams like that that I just don't, I don't see uh, eking it out and getting in this year. So we'll, we'll wait and see. But it's uh, it's always exciting this year, this time of year. Zero and zero. Yep. Everybody's got a shot. Everybody's on the same playing field. Yep. You're excited as all heck for opening day, and uh, we'll see what plays out. All right, let's let's be real premature for a second. Uh, do you have a pick for who's going to go to the uh, Super Bowl out of the AFC and NFC? You know, you, you mentioned it to me mentioned this to me the other day, and I've, I've been racking my brain. It, it it's tough. It's so tough to repeat. But if there's a team that can do it, I think it's Seattle. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to go with a lot of the prognosticators out there. I'm going to say Seattle from the NFC gets back. Okay. And I'm going to go 
I'm going to go rematch of Denver, New England, and I'm going to say New England gets in this year. Right. Belichick and Brady going going the distance, getting into the big game, but I like Seattle to repeat. I know that's crazy to say. Yeah. I'd like them to repeat and I'd like them to go back-to-back, which... When was the last time that happened? It's been it's been uh, over twenty years, and but if any yeah. team can do it, if anyone can do it, it could be uh, it could be Seattle. All right, let, let's let's stick with the NFL just for a minute. You mentioned you're a Steeler fan, so I wanted to ask you about. You know, we nationally have heard, of course, all about what's happened with Le'Veon Bell and Legarrette Blunt, um, but right. you're you're someone who lives in the crucible there, and we know they're not getting suspended. Doesn't seem to be much punishment. So, from an insider's point of view, what's happening up there, and and why is it? that they're not being punished, and how is that being received in the Steel City? Well, you know, someone asked um, Mike Tomlin about that. As soon as it happened, um, you know, they both played in the next, very next exhibition game, they both played. And people were asking, how, how could you let them play a couple And his answer was, um, you know, he's going to dole out punishment when it's significant. And I think punishing them in an exhibition game saying you're not going to play in week three of the preseason is not really a punishment. No. <laughs> so I think what you're going to see happen, two things. I, I think from the from the CBA perspective, he has, to, he has to wait and see how this plays out in the courts. I don't know. If he, if he had suspended them for a preseason game and then tried to suspend them for a regular season game, I think the, the players union could come back and say, wait, coach, you can get to suspend them because they've already been punished. And what kind of punishment is missing a preseason game? Um, the other the other factor is we have to wait and see how it plays out with courts because we, we all know Roger Goodell loves doling out punishment. But I think he's waiting to see how it plays out in the courts. It's possible that they might not be punished this year, but next year once, you know, fines are established, they're, they're going to be fined. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is probably going to be put on some type of probation because he was driving under the influence of marijuana. So I think you're going to see some type of punishment. I just don't know how quickly uh, you'll see it. And, of course, Roger Goodell is facing a, a wrath of hate because of the Ray, the Ray Rice lenient punishment. And if he comes down with a, let's say, a four-game suspension for pot for Le'Veon Bell, how does that look nationally when he admits that he erred in the Right, so so we'll wait and see, but but you think and do you echo the sentiments of other Steeler fans that they should be punished? Absolutely, yeah. There, there's got to be some type of punishment coming. I would personally, what I would do is, if I were Coach Tomlin, obviously I'm not a, a sports writer or sitting on my couch, uh, but if I were um, Coach Tomlin, I would suspend uh, each of them for a game and make them sit out uh, the season opener. Because I think, you know, what better way to punish them? The only bad thing is then you put you put uh, the impetus on uh, Dre Archer, who's a rookie running back, because there's nothing behind those guys. And that's, you know, I think the, the fact that they did this is just plain stupid. It's selfish. It's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, Le'Veon Bell's a guy who, who's probably going to be a stealer for a very long time. And to do something like this, I think, tarnishes his image, um, and it hurts the franchise. It really does. And as a fan, um, I'm upset by it. I know people have different views on marijuana, but nonetheless, this was wrong, and I, I just, I'm stunned at the 
stupidity of the entire event. All right, and, and are you, you sad to see uh, the retirement of James Harrison? I was. You know, um, I, I was always a James Harrison fan. I think, you know, granted the guy maybe wasn't the cleanest player in the world. He delivered some questionable hits over the course of his career. But for the most part, he was fun to watch. He played with a passion that uh, was unmatched by a lot of those guys, uh, you know, on that defense. He was one of those defensive leaders, you know, with the Troy Palomalos and uh, Casey Hamptons and, and guys like that that were on those Super Bowl teams. I really hated to see him go. I was hoping the Steelers would bring him back for one year, you know, give him the league minimum. Maybe he could mentor some of these younger guys. Um, but I will forever remember his Super Bowl record, uh, 100, what was it, 100-yard return it's... in Super Bowl 43 against the Cardinals. And really, when you look back at that game, that really was the key play in the game because it happened right before half, swung momentum to the Steelers' side. Now, they almost lost that game, but uh, it was it was one of the most incredible plays I think I've ever watched. Uh, I can't uh, I can't watch the replay of that, though, on, without wondering why the Cardinals, who were escorting Harrison down the sideline, one of them didn't just try to push him. I mean, he literally yeah, tap danced down the sideline. Well, and then you've got uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who, if you watch that, that replay, is, um, is running out of bounds, which is clearly legal, but running out of bounds, furiously chasing him, and, you know, time, I believe, had expired or was close to expiring. I, I can't believe that no one got to him. It just blows my mind as I watched it because when I, I watched the live, Rob, I thought, oh, my gosh, there's a flag, and it's coming back. I kept thinking that in my mind. It's going to come back. It's going to come back. And when it didn't come back, I was just, I mean, thrilled off, you know, I believe that was, without a doubt, that, that Super Bowl had so many incredible old plays in it from the Larry Fitzgerald long pass that gave the Cardinals a lead late in the game, and obviously the Big Ben touchdown throw to San Antonio Holmes. It was, without a doubt, that was one of the best Super Bowls, whether you're a Steelers fan or not, one of the best Super Bowls, one of the most exciting Super Bowls, I think, of all time. All right. I couldn't agree more. That was one of the best ones that I've seen. Okay, let's uh, switch gears quickly because time flies and you're having fun here. Uh, Thursday night, the college football season opened for real, um, well, with a thud if you live in South Carolina. A Texas A&M boat raced the South Carolina Gamecocks. And I guess the the question I have, the, the ramifications from that, is Texas A&M, were they underrated? Were South Carolina overrated? And what does this mean if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, and I'll put that in quotes, of Johnny Manziel? Oh, I think two things. I think it was a combination of both. I think you had a, you know, you had a South Carolina team maybe a little bit overrated. You had uh, panic in College Station because they're losing uh, Johnny Manziel, but I think obviously Johnny Manziel is fairly easily replaceable. It says, I think it says a lot about the offense that they run down there. Um, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, I don't think you look at this game so much, but you've got to worry about Johnny Football getting larger than life. You know, he's he's do, here's a guy who's doing Snickers commercials and there are T-shirts and I mean there are T-shirts in stores here in Central Pennsylvania that say Johnny Football with the Cleveland Browns helmet. Um, I think you have to be really cautious about getting too excited about the guy. And maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong. Maybe he will be 
be a phenomenal pro and make the Hall of Fame someday. I just think he was, again, a product of a lot of hype. Um, certainly a, a good athlete. I don't know that his, his game is going to translate well to the NFL. And I think we've seen that a little bit already in the preseason games where he's trying to scramble around and make things happen and he gets stripped or sacked or something like that. So I think the game is faster than he realizes. Um, but we'll wait and see. The jury the jury obviously still out. I, I'll be honest, I was really hoping that the Browns would start him in week one. I wanted to see him come into a a hostile environment at Hines Field and see what he's able to do there. Uh, it doesn't get um, it doesn't get much more hostile than coming into Pittsburgh if you're playing for the Browns. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, the Browns, the, the rivalry, to be honest with you, has been replaced. I think obviously by Baltimore, Cincinnati, Cleveland's not really. I mean, it's a rival because of the historic element to it. But until Cleveland, uh, you know, starts winning some games, starts winning some titles, division titles, maybe in the playoffs. Right. Uh, I don't know that it's kind of lifted that. It was, it was a great rivalry in the 70s and even the 80s, but it, it's not back there yet. But a guy like Johnny Football, if he plays, I know the, fan, the fans will, will – he, he's a guy you either love or you hate. Right. And I think the fans in Pittsburgh, if they had an opportunity, would boo him out of the stadium. So uh, it's a shame that he won't, won't play opening day. I was really hoping for that. Yeah, I think a lot of people were, but uh, if you're in Cleveland, your best quarterback is the number three quarterback, Connor Shaw, not either uh, Manziel or Hoyer. All right, let me, uh, last yeah. question, uh, real quick, because we're both graduates of this fine university, what do you think about Penn State under James Franklin? I mean, I know they won their first game in very exciting fashion, but how's it looking for Penn State this year? Well, I mean, you talk about James Franklin, there's a guy who is able to recruit, he's a master recruiter. Um, Coaching-wise, I, I didn't think they called the best game in the second half yesterday. I don't know if that's on him or his coordinators. Um, but, hey, they won the game, you know, and, as you said, in exciting fashion, thrilling victory on the road. And that was kind of their bowl game because, as you and I both know, they're not going to be going to a bowl this year unless unless the sanctions are lifted, and I don't think that's going to happen. Unless they're the but, number one team in the country and they have to put them into a bowl game. <laughs> well, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be interesting? That would you know, be fascinating. If they would run the table, and you, you know, we have to wonder what kind of pressure the NCAA would be under then. But, um, no, I mean, he's a master recruiter. We'll see how it all translates on the field. Uh, I think they've, they've got a stack deck against them this year just because of the, you know, they don't have the full scholarship allotment. And the other, the other factor that I think we saw a little bit of yesterday, the offensive line is suspect. And now Christian Hackenberg for, for a, State record yesterday over 400 yards. Um, I think that you know he's a great quarterback, but the offensive line playing UCF is probably going to be a little different than playing, say, Michigan or Ohio State. So I, I think you know I think they're on track for like an eight and four season, something like that. Um, but I like what Franklin's doing, and I think you know two years from now they may be one of those con title contenders. Right. I mean, I, I, I really I really believe that. I think that. They've got the facilities, they've got the, the coaching staff, the stadium, the, the guy knows how to recruit, he knows how to use social media. I really like his chances in a couple of years getting them to the big stage. Right, let me, let me just go on record as saying a team that, that had to beat in the last second a Bortles-less UCF team, um, I don't really think they're going to run the table for the national championship. No. But 
a man can dream. All right, let me get you out of here on this, because it was 30 years ago this year that a movie that changed both our lives came out, Ghostbusters, which means we're both very old. Um, favorite Ghostbusters moment? Favorite Ghostbusters moment? Probably, and a spoiler alert here if you haven't seen the film, but certainly <laughs> you have by now, um, probably the big reveal at the end where, and you'll know this trivia better than I will, Dan Aykroyd's character, his name escapes me. Ray. But, it's Ray. Uh, yes, yes. And he says, I couldn't help it. Right. <laughs> that's the big that's the big moment of course in the film. Bill Murray just at his best, um, in, in the in the picture. Um and the, the late great Harold Ramis. I mean, that's just to me I remember going to a premiere screening in Pittsburgh for that. We got my, my sister at the time had won free tickets from a local radio station. We were in this packed theater and it was just amazing to watch because you just saw pure comic genius on the screen and still to this day when it's on AMC or something I stop and watch it because I love it so much yeah it's a great movie I love it too and I remember seeing it uh, school had just ended and I went right from school to the theater saw it and I think I saw it two or three more times that weekend all right uh, Chris thank you it's been a pleasure um, thanks for helping us out and uh, making this show much more interesting because somebody else is speaking and not just me well I appreciate you having me and All right, thanks a lot. All right, bye. Thank you, Rob. All right, once again, thank you to Chris Morelli of the Center County Gazette, managing editor of the Center County Gazette, for some tidbits and some morsels on fantasy football. Well, not fantasy football, real-life football, uh, college and pro style. I want to start now in the non-guest portion of the program talking about NFL penalties. And I don't mean holding and offsides and pass interference, although we could do a whole show on that, I suppose. Recently, the NFL did a couple things in the player penalty, player reprimand arena that bear some conversation here on the Bitterness and Rage program. Josh Gordon of the Cleveland Browns was given a one-year suspension for yet another violation of the substance abuse policy, and there was some hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing and general outrage that Ray Rice, and you remember the Ray Rice saga, knocking his girlfriend out in an elevator in Atlantic City, dragging her outside. It was captured on video. Good for him. Good for the league. And he got a uh, two-game suspension from the NFL. And so people said, why would domestic violence give you a two-game suspension, whereas drug abuse, something which is now currently legal in two states and making its way across the country, decriminalized in the District of Columbia, why would that only be, why would that be a year? Is the NFL saying that uh, drug abuse on a substance that isn't even le- illegal across the whole country. Is that worse than domestic violence? Now, friendos, uh, the NFL is not making a value judgment between domestic violence and drug abuse. Okay, any sort of punishment, as you know, is designed to dissuade people from doing things again and to say, you're a knucklehead, what are you doing? So let's look at these two punishments. 
Ray Rice, and I, whether it's your first time or your millionth time, domestic violence is reprehensible and evil. And, and Ray Rice ought to be ashamed of himself, no matter how he and his, his now wife explain it away. Ashamed of himself should he be. So he gets two games because he is a first-timer. And, and we're going to deal with the NFL's revised domestic violence policy um, or domestic violence reprimand policy in a moment. He's a first-time offender. So the NFL slapped him on the wrist and said, please don't do this again because domestic violence is wrong. Whereas Josh Gordon is a Class A knucklehead in college and at least on one other occasion in the NFL. Hey, that was more of my glasses hitting the microphone. At least one other occasion before this one in the NFL, he's violated the league's substance abuse policy. So the NFL says, what are you doing, man? We've given you warning after warning. We've slapped you on the wrist. And you keep coming back and doing the same things over again. So this is not a case of marijuana and drug violations are worse than domestic violence. It's a case of Ray Rice. It's first time we're, we're going to let you off easy. Josh Gordon, you should know better. Honestly, Mr. Gordon, you should know better. This is your career that you're watching dissipate into the air just because you want to smoke a fatty every once in a while. Now, let us turn our attention to the aforementioned new NFL Roger Goodell introduced domestic violence reprimand policy. Goodell comes out and says in the last couple of days, first-time offenders of the domestic violence policy, those who have been convicted, etc., of domestic violence, will get a six-game suspension and a second offense is a lifetime ban from the NFL. Now, that's great. I, I know that he, he part of that was to say, I'm sorry that I blew it the first time and, and did not have a stronger policy with Ray Rice. I get it. And I think that penalty is fair. I think it's deserved. As I said, domestic violence is a terrible crime, and, and people that do that, there's something seriously wrong with the perpetrators of domestic violence. But here's the issue that I have. And again, I'm not going to sit here and suggest that that is an unfair penalty for those that perpetrate domestic violence crimes. It's not. I think it's perfectly fair. I, I would have been okay if they had said one one and done. One, one crime and you're out of here. But what bothers me is this, in the wake of yet another suspension for my own uh, Washington Redskins, Brandon Merriweather, safety Brandon Merriweather. Here's the problem that I have. The Shield, once again, in trying to do something good, takes one step forward and two steps backwards. The penalty, yet again, this has got to be four or five, six times that Merriweather has been dinged by the Shield for leading with his helmet and knocking somebody out or trying to knock somebody out and getting a suspension. The league has been saying for the last couple of years how concerned they are about player safety. And they're concerned from a public standpoint and from a private financial standpoint about the current lawsuits, future lawsuits. And so their insistence on only giving players who violate that policy, the don't lead with your head, illegal hits, trying to knock people out reprimand policy, two games, and sometimes those two game suspensions get moderated and appeal down to one, you have to ask yourself, and I'm not trying to compare domestic violence with uh, leading, tackling while leading with your helmet on the field, but you have to ask yourself, 
if you really want to protect your players and you got a, a clear headhunter like Brandon Merriweather out there, are, is, is two games enough? And then moderated an appeal down to one? Sometimes no suspension? Is that enough? Is that truly enough? And I would say no. You got to get tough with these guys. You got to say you're you're killing the product. You are injuring our players. You are giving us a bad name. I want to see Goodell get tough and say, here, four games for a first offense, a season for a second offense, and if you third time's a charm, you're out. You're finished. You're never playing in this league again. You lead with your helmet. You put our players at risk. You're done. You're out of here. No ifs, ands, ors, or buts about it. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. See ya. Mr. Merriweather would be out of a job right now. Now, I know the union would never go for that because there's far more of those abuses or far more of those instances of, of criminal, and I, it is criminal behavior when you lead with your helmet. You are a weapon. There's far more instances of those types of criminal behaviors than domestic violence. At least that's been reported. At least that the league knows about. Let me be clear on that. Those that involve players that have been reported to the league. But if you want to protect your league, if you want to keep your players safe, you got to say to these hen hunters, it's over for guys like you. Get out and take your head hunting ways with you. So I'm all in favor of Goodell's new domestic violence policy, uh, the reprimand policy. But it's, once again, the inconsistency of the shield has been shown by these lightweight penalties for people who lead with their helmet, the Brandon Merriweathers of the world. Because after all, the people that play this game are the ones that you're penalizing. And we wouldn't want to get rid of that which lays the golden eggs. The geese that lays our golden eggs unfortunately happen to be the ones who are leading with their helmets. So thank you, Roger Goodell, for once again in your attempt to do the right thing, showing us how often you do the wrong thing. All right, that's enough NFL penalty talk. Jacina Anderson of ESPN is a fine, fine reporter who found herself in quite the mess over America's favorite seventh round draft pick, Michael Sam. Jocena Anderson was reporting recently uh, from Rams training camp about Michael Sam and I guess she was doing um, this is a day-to-day -day sort of life over there kind of a piece and talking about how players are I don't want to say adjusting adjusting to one another right and how Michael Sam fits into the the Rams mishpucha the Rams family and it was very this report that comes out it was a little clumsy I admit it could have been done better but she said and I quote uh, she said, and I'm quoting from an article here in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, uh, that uh, Anderson said that one Rams player told her that Sam was, quote, respecting our space, end quote, when it came to showering, showering? Who am I, Elmer Fudd? Showering? It's not an easy word to say, my friends. Uh, and maybe waiting to take a shower so as not to make teammates feel uncomfortable. And for that, Ms. Anderson was severely reprimanded by St. Louis Rams coach Jeff Fisher and St. Louis Rams defensive lineman and one of the team's leaders, Chris Long. Now, 
they said it was unethical. They said it was unprofessional. Said it should have been done. Uh, Chris Long, I believe, said ESPN needs to get over it because everyone else has. And I would say to all of those people, let's pump the brakes a bit on Miss Anderson. Is it? Should she have said it? I don't know. You know, it's an excellent question. I mean, is it news? Because we're dealing in uncharted waters here. We're dealing with the first openly gay player, and and we're never going to get over that part of it, that he had the guts, the bravery to come out in an incredibly homophobic environment. I mean, team sports with men tends to lend itself, even if it's just joking around, to moments of homophobia. And so he comes out and he says... I want to get in front of this story before it comes out that I'm gay. I want to say that I'm gay. And now we don't have to make it an issue, which, of course, is one of the only issues out there until the real games begin. So to talk about how the Rams players are dealing with a new situation is not necessarily something that's bad. And the report was that... They were speculating as to what kind of courtesy and what kind of niceties and what kind of politeness and what kind of protocol Michael Sam was going to take in the locker room. Because that's a question people are going to have. I'm going to sit back. Raise your hand if you're not interested in how Michael Sam is going to interact with his teammates in the very awkward environment of the locker room. Raise your hand if this didn't apply. This never crossed your mind. Don't, don't worry, I'll wait. In fact, here, let's listen to some music while you're making up your mind and deciding. Okay, you can put your hands down now. Now, it's not, not much different than many moons ago back in the day when female reporters first went into male locker rooms. The question, I don't know if this was ever said, and maybe there's a difference. You have the question whether or not you say it. Maybe that's the difference. But the issue comes up. The, for how are players going to react, male players that are in the locker room in various stages of undress, how are they going to react to female reporters? And how are the female reporters going to react to them in terms of interviewing and nudity, two things that don't always go together well unless you're interviewing someone who's a porn star. So it's not an unfair comment. It's not unprofessional or unethical. She wasn't trying to be lascivious. She wasn't trying to stir the pot and, and, and go down to that prurient level of, hey, let's talk about how Michael Sam controls and comports himself when he's naked around other men. She was just saying, here's something that we don't often talk about because it's not an issue, but some of the players have told me, and it was sort of complimentary to Michael Sam, that he might be respecting them by changing his showering habits so as not maybe to make an uncomfortable and an awkward situation less uncomfortable and less awkward. So it's not unethical, it's not unprofessional, it's news, it's interesting, it's part of the story. And until the games are actually played, this is what people are going to care about because I got to tell you, nobody's circling dates on the preseason calendar, nobody's keeping track of stats on a preseason calendar. The training camps aren't that interesting. When the real games begin, whether Michael Sam's on the field or not, and, and as of the time of this recording, and the deadline is just passed for making your final cuts, I believe Michael Sam is going to be on this team. 
And when the game starts, and if he performs like he did during the preseason, no one's going to care about his showering habits or anything else. They're going to care that he could turn in to be, or turn out to be a steal. A seventh round steal for the St. Louis Rams. But as I said, right now he is the world's most famous seventh round draft pick. Let us continue now and talk about the University of Southern California. Poor old Southern California. Some hard times have recently fallen on Southern Cal. And I'm talking, of course, about the sad, twisted case, the mysterious case, this year's Manti Teo story of cornerback Josh Shaw and running back Anthony Brown, both of whom have brought some shame and disrepute uh, and disgrace to the University of Southern California. And I don't want to get into um, what their stories are much. I mean, it, I don't want to rehash that, which isn't news anymore. We all know what happened with, with Shaw and jumping out of, uh, or jumping off a balcony, allegedly to save his, his seven-year-old nephew from drowning. And it turns out that it really wasn't that, that it was more about trying to escape the authorities and that he lied about it and he's since been suspended and stripped of his captaincy. And Anthony Brown, who, as I read in one report, running back for Southern Cal, who's the the sixth, number six on a depth chart of five running backs, a guy who couldn't play for Coach Steve Sarkeesian, uh, quit the team. And then what does he do? What do we all do when we fail at something? That's right. We call our coach a racist. Uh, he put on Instagram uh, this past Thursday, quote, Sark, Steve Sarkeesian, the coach of the University of Southern California, treated me like a slave in his office. Can't play for a racist man. And there's like a million exclamation points. Hashtag fight on. And he posted a similar message on Facebook. Look, Here's what I want to say about what's what's happening at USC. The shame of it is this, that we want to put our athletes, professional and college, on some sort of a pedestal. We want them to be better than us. We want to look up to them. We don't want to be cynical about sports. But unfortunately, these things keep happening. When I first heard about the Shaw story... I thought this was one of the best stories I've ever heard. This guy is giving up his, or risking his potential NFL future, not to mention his, his college present at the University of Southern California, because he realizes that saving the life of his nephew is far more important than what he does on the football field. And then there's that creeping doubt that comes into your mind. As soon as you hear that story, you think, hmm... That sounds too good to be true. And you desperately want to believe it. You desperately want to believe that, that, that when good things, when good stories come out, that there's no other shoe to drop. And then the other shoe drops. And it drops right on your head. That he is no more a hero than anyone else. That all he did was, in his attempt to outrun his responsibilities, found himself in a situation where he could be heroic. And it just, you just, oh, not again. Not another athlete who's let us down. And as for Anthony Brown, why must 
we play the race card when things don't go our way. Because those that really are the victims of racism, they're the ones that get trampled underfoot by people like Anthony Brown, who when they can't cut it on the football field, when their talents aren't good enough, and you're competing against the best in the country, it's USC after all. They get the best of the best. It's an honor just to be recruited by them, and you don't get any playing time, and you decide, first of all, quitting is not the answer. You sit on the bench, and you take your lumps and wait for your opportunity. It's football. There are always opportunities. But to call your coach a racist because you couldn't make it, it's just sad. It's sad. It's weak. And it's showing that you have no responsibility for yourself and you don't care about others. Sad. Very sad. Before I get to the QSR spotlight, let me end this on an uplifting note, a positive note. I am going to introduce to you, friends, my own Ice Bucket Challenge Challenge. The ALS Ice Bucket Challenge Challenge. We all know what the Ice Bucket Challenge is. I myself am going to do the Ice Bucket Challenge. I'm going to video it, put it on my Twitter page, at Bitter and Rage, on your Twitter machines. Uh, and you can watch it and watch me make a bigger fool out of myself than I make on a normal day-to-day -day basis. But I want to add a twist. Since I'm going to get a bucket of ice water dumped on my head, I am going to donate the aforementioned $10. But I want to add more. And I want you, the best listeners in the world, to increase the amount of money that I'm going to be donating. So I'm going to put, a, I'm going to tweet something after I do the show, Graham. I'm going to issue my challenge, my ALS Ice Bucket Challenge Challenge. And for every retweet, I'll bump it up 50 cents from the $10. And every new follower that I get, I'll bump it up a dollar. And I'm going to cap it at. Uh, an extra $100, somewhere around there. So I'm going to do the Ice Bucket Challenge, going to do my 10 bucks, then I'm going to do more. And I want you all to be involved. And just to sweeten the pot a little bit, if anyone out there wants to orchestrate how the Ice Bucket Challenge is done, where it's done, what I'm wearing, within reason, of course, uh, you want to do the filming of it, you want to be present when this momentous occasion happens of me getting ice water dumped on my dome, uh, send me an email at... Bitternessandrage at gmail.com and let me know why you should be the Steven Spielberg of my Ice Bucket Challenge. Okay, the Ice Bucket Challenge Challenge. Look for it to be issued on a Twitter machine near you. And now the QSR Spotlight, as always, sponsored by thejunkfoodguy.com. Thejunkfoodguy.com. Follow him on Twitter at junkfoodguy and go to his podcast on iTunes. The Nosh Show. Subscribe, follow, leave yourself or himself a heartwarming comment, if you would. The first two stories are the right way and a wrong way to make pizza. The wrong way, absolutely gluten free, that is a brand, is making a pizza with a flourless cauliflower crust. Get out of here, a cauliflower crust. If I want cauliflower, I'm going to eat cauliflower. Not to be insensitive to those that have to have a gluten-free diet, but you know what? A cauliflower crust is not pizza. Whereas Pizza Hut, because they love making America fat, as I mentioned before, uh, America, as I saw on the cruise ship, if you're worried about America getting healthy, don't worry. There is plenty of evidence on the Carnival Cruise Lines that uh, America is not concerned about the waistline. Pizza Hut is introducing a bacon and cheese stuffed pizza crust because you nothing makes pizza better than adding more 
bacon. Delicious. Uh, let's see. It's fall, and if it's fall, it means that there's going to be a deluge of fall snacks and drinks. And we don't need any more pumpkin spice or apple pie flavored things. But apparently Pepperidge Farm and Brock's never got the message. Uh, Pepperidge Farm is coming out with their pumpkin spice Milano's. The Milano's one of the greatest cookies ever, and it doesn't need pumpkin spice. And apple pie candy corn, because when you have something as sugary as candy corn, you want to inject more sugar into it. Apple fly, apple fly, that would be better. Apple pie flavored candy corn. There's no place for you on my dinner table. Arby's has a meat mountain. God, that just, just think about that for a minute. A meat mountain. This is not on the menu, friends, but for $10, and let me tell you, this is the best $10 you'll ever spend. You can get a giant stack of chicken tenders, roast turkey, ham, Swiss cheese, corned beef, brisket, Angus steak, cheddar cheese, roast beef, and bacon. That's every kind of meat that Arby's has. You can buy the Meat Mountain for a mere $10. As I said, not on the menu, friends, but you can still order it. And as I said, for 10 bucks, it's the best $10 you'll ever spend. Uh, Jones Soda, which makes the sweetest sodas around, and I don't mean that as a compliment all the time. I mean, their sodas are, like, just sucking out of the sugar bowl. A peanut butter and jelly soda. I'm not sure that I need to say anything about that other than Jones Soda. You ought to be ashamed of yourselves. And I got a lot of a backlog of QSR Spotlight news because I've been gone for over a month. Or just over a month, I think. Uh, two contests at uh, restaurants that are out in the west and southwest, as well as in the mid-Atlantic states and the south. The mid-Atlantic states restaurant is Wayback Burgers, and the southwest and west is Wiener Schnitzels. Great name for a restaurant. They both have contests offering money uh, for food-related sort of activities. Uh, Wayback Burgers announced it will have its seventh annual triple triple burger eating contest. Uh, if you can eat, whoever eats the triple triple burger the fastest gets thirty three hundred and thirty dollars. Uh, you get it, triple triple, all the threes. <laughs> now you're wondering how difficult could that be to eat a triple burger fast? Um, before you go out and start practicing your gluttony, the triple triple burger is a nine. Nine, nine times, Mrs. Bueller, is a nine patty burger with nine slices of American cheese with lettuce and tomato. Thank God, because otherwise it wouldn't be so healthy. Uh, Wiener schnitzels. So good luck with that. Eating that the fastest. I guess if you live through it, they ought to give you at least, you know, 30 bucks or $33 or some variation of threes. Uh, Wiener Schnitzels is having a, uh, they sell corn dogs, by the way. Customers can win prizes ranging from free corn dogs to the $1 million grand prize by purchasing a corn dog. Each corn dog stick is printed with either an instant win prize or a code, so you can get various food prizes if you have the stick that says you're an instant winner. The one that caught my eye, though, is you can win a million dollars if you match two sticks, one that says Wiener and one that says Schnitzel. America, what are we doing? A corn dog on a stick that says wiener? Please. Please leave the jokes 
to the professionals. So that's right. If you have a wiener on a stick, you could win yourself a million dollars. And the last thing is our old our old friend Tim Hortons is at it again. We love Tim Hortons here at the Bitterness and Rage Show. Tim Hortons has introduced the greatest donut ever. And I give you a donut with or donut called the Buffalo Crunch Donut. Mmm. The Buffalo Crunch Donut is a yeast-based pull-apart donut drowned from I'm reading this from the press release. Drowned in hot buffalo sauce and crushed tortilla chips. There's also a mild version with ranch for the spice shy. Each donut is $2. My friends, that is $2 well spent. Sign me up, Tim Hortons. Sign me up. I believe there's a rumor out there that Tim Hortons is going to be buying or merging or having a partnership with Burger King. So stay tuned for that, friends. Stay tuned. And that brings us to my favorite segment, the Dope of the Week. I got two dopes. Since football season is, well, college is open. The NFL is going to open up its gates for reals in a couple days. Uh, I have two dopes, one college, one professional. The college football dope of the week goes to Mark Wilkes, owner of the Ashley Furniture Home Store dealer in College Station, Texas, who said that if the Texas A&M football team were to beat the University of South Carolina by at least 10 points, that everyone would get their furniture purchases refunded. Any purchases they made from the 16th of August to the 27th of August and as you know, if you've read the papers, the Johnny Manziel-less Texas A&M Aggies just boat raced the number nine Steve Spurrier coached University of South Carolina Gamecocks, 52-28, a drubbing. It wasn't just 10 points. It was, wait, math, 24 points. This little promotion cost... Uh, let me see if they have the information here. It cost over a million dollars. 600 customers, a million dollars. That guarantee. Have we learned nothing? That as soon as you pump out your chest and say that my team is better than yours, or you make some sort of a bold claim and you put money behind it, you're in deep guacamole, friends. So for putting yourself out there at the cost of a million dollars, thankfully it was insured. For not learning your lesson from other promotions gone awry, which you can find all over the Google machine, promotions that have gone awry, you are the co-dope of the week. My favorite dope, though, from the professional ranks is Houston Texans safety DJ Swearinger. Great name, by the way. Absolutely great name. His name is Swearinger. And it's a great name because that's what today's NFL version of the dope of the week is about. As you know, Wes Welker in an exhibition game, yes, Roger Goodell, I'm calling it what it is, exhibition. He was knocked out by safety Swearinger, uh, and he is now suffering his third or second concussion in a very short period of time, maybe third concussion. i got to double-check that. And when he was laid out, Peyton Manning, yes, Peyton Manning, who, other than his hilarious Saturday Night Live skits, never says anything negative turned to one Swearinger and said, and I'll clean this up for my Disney audience, go self-procreate. He said a two-word phrase, 
that rhymes with duck glue. Now, that's like your grandfather, your kindly grandfather takes you fishing every weekend, looking at you at the breakfast table when you ask him, hey, are we going fishing this weekend, Grandpa? And he looks at you and says, duck glue, Junior. And you just sit there, stunned. Because when Grandpa, when God says to you, duck glue, the response is not duck glue back, which is exactly what Swearinger did. Again, appropriate, his name is Swearinger. Peyton Manning is the NFL. As much as The Shield, as much as Roger Goodell. Peyton Manning is God. You know, my good friend Moses was put through a lot of trials by God, not to make this all religious. And God, of course, never said duck glue to Moses. But he did some things that, you know, from an objective, outside, non-religious standpoint, you might think, wow, that's pretty harsh. And you don't say to God, you don't say to Peyton Manning, duck glue. You know what you say? You say, thank you, sir. May I have another? You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull on Superman's cape. Thank you, Jim Croce. You don't say duck glue to Peyton Manning. DJ Swearinger is lucky he's still playing football after that little outburst back to Peyton Manning. So, for your ill-timed outburst, for spitting into the eye of the football gods, you, DJ Swearinger, and Mark Wilkes, you are the Bitterness and Rage Show co-dopes of the week. I'm looking at the clock, and I see that it's been an extra-packed Elvis's colon-like show today. I'm sorry for the extra time. Feel free to jump around. Listen to the whole thing, but you can always jump around listen to what you want. Jump around, jump around. Sorry. Tragically white am I. Um, but thank you. It's I had a lot to say because I've been gone for so long. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Please try to find me through the miracle of social media. Twitter machines, a bitter and rage. I'm only going to say it once because I was yelled at by my producer for saying it twice. Uh, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. Bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Subscribe, my friends. Let this audio goodness come right to your doorstep. Send me a tweet. Give me a follow. Say something nice about me in the comment sections. Um, it's been great. I will be back on my regular schedule for the foreseeable future. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for putting up with me. Uh, please don't ever forget that the Bitterness and Rage show is a Mia Soti Cologne production. And let me say bye-bye, and I will see you on the other side, Ray. Bye.